All right, open up to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2 this morning. Uh, if you're new and new to your Bibles, just uh, find the New Testament, hit Matthew, and turn to the left just a little bit, and you'll uh, bump into it. I got one uh, more announcement uh, before we kind of jump into what we have for the morning. Um, inside the worship folder, you have uh, a little piece of paper that looks like this. And really, that's just, we want to give you an update. We've been in the Imagine Project for uh, around two years now. Um, and uh, God has just been so good and so gracious um, through your generosity. Uh, and so we just want to give you an update. Uh, right now, uh, we, are, we, ha- we started off with $682,000 just two years ago, and we are down to $58,000. Like, praise God, yeah? Yeah, praise God. And so if, if, you, if you are coming and this is your first time to church, you're like, I knew it. I knew it. We were going to show up and they're going to start talking about money. Hey, we, we, rarely, we rarely talk about this, okay? Um, but this is a project that we've been doing over the past couple of years to pay down the debt. And here, here's why you need to know this if you're new. This is so that we can continue to give outside of Riverview, so that we can give locally, globally, um, around the world, and just see people come to know who Jesus is. So praise God uh, for what he's doing through you. If you want to find out more about that, there's a little bit at the bottom of this. Um, but you can also just uh, uh, walk up to any of the staff members and say, hey, tell me more about what God's doing uh, in that or how we can be uh, involved. So uh, that's the, if you want to put that in context, Lee, wh- where's that land? Is that like a 50, like 58,000? Is that like a, a new F-150? Is like an Explorer? Is, is that kind of like where we're in the range of right now? Yeah, so landing somewhere on the bottom level of that, yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's, that's the context, right? Like just two years ago, we're like, whoa, this huge number, but now we're down to like a new car. I mean, that, that's, that's where we're at. We're almost there. So praise God for what uh, he's doing there. Um, but it's just good, good to be together, uh, gathering together as the body of believers here in uh, Ashland, uh, Nebraska. This is a good thing. Um, talking about the building here, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but the building itself uh, was built uh, back in 2012, and that's only about nine years ago uh, or so. Around 2000. Uh, and seven, there were a few men and women who were gathering uh, together, and they were dreaming about planting a church here in Ashland. And, and they did. Uh, they, they got together, and they planted the church, and God blessed that. People started meeting together, and, and there were people uh, through that initial group of people who started hearing about the goodness and the grace of Jesus and started hearing about his love, and then lives were being changed. People all over Ashland and outside of Ashland were coming to know who Jesus was, and their lives were being changed. And so Riverview got off, and it was running. And then the church itself, it was bopping around for about five years from building to building, from place to place, trying to figure out where can we consistently worship uh, on, on a Sunday morning, and trying to find space in Ashland was, was somewhat difficult. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, after moving around for about five years or so, there was this group of people or the body of faith at that time said, hey, I think it's time for us to build a place that we can begin to gather in consistently without having to find something else. And so the building that we're sitting in this morning, um, it's uh, a result of those men and women who took this vision that God had given them, and they put brick upon brick to build this place. Two by four upon two by four to build this place. And we would say, you know, one brick by itself is pretty insignificant. Two bricks maybe by itself is pretty insignificant. One two by four by itself is pretty insignificant. But when you start bringing those together and uh, individual upon individual upon individual start bringing those and laying them down, the completion of the work begins to happen somewhat quickly. And if you've been around for a while or if you were part of that initial group, some of you know all too well and some of you may not have any idea of this, 
but uh, when RCC was being planted, um, and specifically when the building uh, was going up, there were people in the community, guys, who didn't like it. There, there were people in the community uh, who were saying, well, you know what, RCC is a cult. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a cultish group of people. And there were people in the community who said, well, we don't need an RCC, or actually we don't need any other church in, in the community. And in a small town, you know that word travels pretty fast, right? In a small town, you say something, and for better or worse, it's out there, and, and everybody knows about that. And so it's not hard to imagine that those words would make it back to the people who are bringing the wood, who are bringing the bricks, who are building the house for the Lord so that people could gather together and just worship together as a local body uh, of uh, faith here. And the whole time, the body of believers are saying, hey, we just want a place where we can worship the Lord. We just want a place where people can come to know who Jesus is. What's so bad about that? Now, you can imagine what would happen if word got back to the people as it did and as it does, and the people start looking around and saying, you know what? They're right. We don't need to build this building. I, I know God did put this on our hearts. I know we felt this call and this vision from God, but maybe we should just stop the work. Maybe they're right. Maybe we don't need another church in the area. Why are we doing this anyway? This is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. So let's just stop the work. Can you imagine that? Can you, can you imagine what this place would be, what this town would be, what the community would be like? like think about what would happen there. When, like, we know this is just a building, so let, let's not lose sight of that, right? We know there's walls, there's bricks, there's two-by-fours. We know this is just a building, but at the end of the day, the, it's so much more than just a building because we know what God has done through people who have walked in these doors. We know what God has done in you and what God has done uh, through you. There have been men and women who have walked in these doors, addicted to all kinds of things, right? And they have found the love of friends, and they have found the love of Jesus, and he has broken the chains of addiction, and he has set people free. And people, when they are free, they are free indeed. They have become free in Christ. There are people who have walked through the doors that have just barely been hanging to life by, by just a thread because of discouragement, and who have never felt the love of a friend, who have never felt the love of Jesus, who have never felt the hope that Jesus brings, but through a conversation or through the teaching of God's word, they found hope, they found Jesus, and they're still walking on this earth today because of what God did here. And there are relationships the people walked through the doors that were just hurting and they were falling apart. Families who were just simply at their wits and struggling to figure out, how do we even take another step forward? How do we get past this block that we're in right now? And they encountered you. They bumped into you and you walked alongside of them and they didn't feel alone anymore. They felt like they had camaraderie. They felt like they had people. I love what Noah had to share just a few minutes ago, that they felt like they walked into family. That, that others have walked into family. Now, can you imagine what would have happened if the men and women who were bringing bricks and who were laying two by four against two by four just said, you know what? I'm done. They're right. This is too hard. It's too much capital. It's too much, it's too, it's too much work. It's too much um, to walk through all the different conversations that we're having to have and the way that people are looking at us. I shudder to think about what would have happened if we just said the work's too hard. But praise God that they didn't stop. They stayed the course, and they kept building and building. And these stories that we've talked about, these are trophies of God's grace all over the place because people stayed the course. If you're in here and your life has been changed by, 
by God through his grace, by a part of the ministry that Riverview has been a part of, it's because men and women, they stayed the course and they didn't give up. And, and honestly, RCC happens today because men and women who were discouraged about 2,500 years ago, they didn't give up either. When they found themselves in, in situations and just places of utter discouragement, they didn't give up. They stayed the course. They said, you know what? We're going to put one brick upon one brick. We're going to put one stone upon one stone. We're going to put one timber piece against one timber piece, and we're going to continue to move forward. And RCC here is the day because those who were discouraged 2,500 years ago did not give up. And so if you find yourself this morning in a place of discouragement, a place of, I don't know if I can take another step forward, or you start asking the question, why are we even doing what we're doing? Why am I sitting here this morning? Why am I still parenting so hard? Why am I still working so hard? Why am I still taking up my cross and bearing it in a world that just feels like everybody else is laying? If you find yourself in a place of discouragement, and you say, man, I just want to give up, for whatever reason that may be, I think Haggai may be able to show us a way to press forward, to not give up, to not lose hope, and, and to, to walk out of a place of discouragement this morning. So again, if you have Haggai chapter 2, we're going to read through the first nine verses, and then we're going to come around and talk about it. Sound good? You guys with me? Okay. <clears throat> In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. For I'm with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, so fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. If you're just jumping in on our Haggai series, you know, uh, or if you've been here for a while, you know that we've been in a Haggai series. If you're just jumping in, I'm going to give just a quick recap for us. Judah, they've been uh, captive to the Babylonians for about 70 years. The Babylonians, they've destroyed the temple of God, which was the place of worship for the Jewish folks. Persia now has come in and they've defeated the Babylonians, so the Babylonians are no longer a world power. They've been removed. Persia's in control, and Persia does things different than Babylon. And so they allow 50,000 Jewish refugees to go back into the city of Jerusalem to start rebuilding their lives. And for 70 years, all that the Jewish people could think about was a day that they would be able to go back to their homeland and, in, in a sense, be able to go back and begin to rebuild their lives around the temple of God. For 70 years, that's all they could think about. And so they come back to Jerusalem, and they start working. They start building the foundation of the temple. They do what God has called them to do, and it's going great. But people around the town, people of the surrounding area, they start coming in, and they start causing trouble. What are you doing building a new building? What are you doing focusing your life around God? What are you doing? We already have enough temples in the area. 
And they get discouraged and they stop building for, for 16 years. All they could think about for 70 years was coming back in and building the temple. And then when they faced a little bit of discouragement or they faced a little bit of hardship, they end up giving up. And for 16 years, the work that they had started lays dormant. And instead of building the temple, what we actually have found out over the past couple of weeks is that they, instead of building the temple, they begin to rebuild their own lives. They begin to build their paneled houses, and they are losing sight of the main thing. And we have said throughout the book of Haggai, for our time, what is the focus of Haggai? Keeping the main thing the main thing, right? I'm not convinced that you guys have been here for the past two weeks, right? <laughs> the focus of Haggai is keeping the main thing the main thing, right? And so last week, what we found out was that when they were called to respond by Haggai, they actually do. They step out of this 16-year slump, and they start to rebuild the temple. They start going to the hills like God had told them to do. They start bringing down the lumber. They start putting uh, timber against timber, and they start building the temple, one log at a time, one stone at a time. And again, the people are excited, and there's high-fiving going all around. They're excited about what's happening. They're doing what God has called them to do. But then they face a little more opposition. Something happens in them that I think happens is just probably just about every one of us when we're, when we're in the middle of getting ready to start a big project, right? When we're in the middle of working on some type of project or let's just say in the middle of raising kids or trying to go back to school and make it through school, somewhere in the middle of, of the hard stuff, we hit this moment where we start looking around and think, man, this just got hard. This, 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 am I really called to do what I'm doing right now? Or at the end of the day, is this going to be worth it? And I'm talking about like every time that I've been in some type of a project, there's always a spot somewhere along what I call the tension moment or the, the tension point. Like you, you hit somewhere in the, in, in, the, in the middle of this thing where the work isn't easy anymore. And I begin to think like, oh, maybe I bit off a little bit more than I can chew. I remember when I was in seminary, I'm talking like about, about halfway through Greek every year. I was like, is there another route that I can take? Like, there's, like can I take another course? Like, Ashley's shaking her head. She's like, I remember this. Like, it was just yesterday, right? Because about halfway through, I'm like, this is hard. Like, maybe I can, like, still be a pastor but not do this stuff over here. And, and, and so I looked for an, an easier route. And, and so when we're in the middle of it, we hit this tension moment. Like, we start to ask ourselves, is this really worth it? Does this happen to anybody else? You hit a moment and you're in the middle of a do-it-yourself project, like, oh, wait a minute. I don't know how to do plumbing, and here we are. I'm, you know, elbow deep in some plumbing work here. Didn't know this. I didn't see that on YouTube. That, this wasn't part of it. When we were having uh, babies, uh, like, we were excited about that, and we, and we were like, man, this is easy. Like, like, they're keeping us up at night, but, like, this part is easy. And so people would come up, and, and they would say, hey, how many babies do you guys think you're going to have? We're like, oh, we'll just keep having babies as long as we feel like we're still doing a good job. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing because you know the tension moment isn't in the diapers. The tension moment comes when they start having their own opinions. The tension moment comes when they're 6, 7, 10, 12. You're like, we shouldn't have had any. Because this is insane. I didn't account for all of this. This is harder than I thought it was going to be. With my job, this tension moment happens on Thursdays. Like, I, I know that there's a point on Thursday afternoon where I have to stop studying and I have to start writing so that I can, you know, have something to talk about on Sunday. And, and I'm staring there and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at a blank screen. I'm like, is this worth it? Like, I, I don't know if I've got anything to, to deliver on, on Sundays. 
And so my attention moment begins like, man, is all the work that's going to come in these next you know, few hours or these next couple of days, is it worth the 30 to 40 minutes that we get to spend on Sunday? Is anything changing? And so you can walk away discouraged in that moment. What are, what are the tension moments in your life? What are the things that kind of come up that just make you say, man, I just don't know if this is worth it. I may have bitten off a little bit more than I can chew right now. At the end of the day, what I'm putting my hands to, is this going to be worth it? You know where I think this comes up for Judah? I think it comes up a lot of the times the same way for us too. I think it's in that tension moment where we begin to compare ourselves with what's going on around us. I call it the snare of compare, right? We start looking, isn't that cool, snare of compare? Yeah, I stole that from somebody else at some point in my life. I heard him saying, like, I'm going to hang on to that. We start thinking about what everybody else is doing and we compare it to what our, like, I, I don't dress my kids like they dress their kids. I, I, I don't do it like she does it. The, their kids are smarter than my kids. Their yard looks nicer than my yard looks. Inside of their minivan is never dirty like my minivan. Like, why don't they have juice and, and food on the top of their ceiling, right? Like, when you open up the door, why aren't things just falling out all over the ground? Like, like every time we open up the door, I'm like, I didn't know we could stuff more stuff in here. And you start comparing, like, their stuff is always clean. Their stuff is always nice. When we start looking and comparing ourselves and our personal lives and our possessions and our progress to what other people are going to do, it's always a recipe for disaster. It's always a recipe that's going to lead us to a place of discouragement. There's, never, there's rarely ever anything good that comes out of comparing yourself to somebody else or even to comparing yourself to who you were 17 years ago or 20 years ago and the way God was moving in your life. There's not always a lot of good that comes from this place. Sometimes there is. But discouragement can just pop up when we start doing that. In verse 1, we are in the, the, we're in the middle of a month after they have, faced this, they, they have uh, been building. They've been going for about a month now since they started reworking the temple. And this is a significant month for, for Judah. The Lord is in the details of this stuff, okay? And so keep in the back of your mind as we're reading through this that they've just finished up something called the Feast of Booths. It happens in the, in the seventh month. And for all of our benefit here, just to re-kind of capture our minds what the Feast of Booths is, it's a time that, uh, that Israel and the Jewish people set aside to remember God's faithful provision as he was leading them through the wilderness as they left the, 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 the country of Egypt and the tyranny of Egypt, right? Um, and this particular feast... It celebrated how God protected them and how he provided for the people while they were living in the wilderness in these tents as they were running as refugees through the wilderness. Um, his presence had gone with them. He was in the pillar of cloud. He was in the pillar of fire. And he gave them everything that they needed in this 40 years of wandering through the desert. He miraculously provided for them. And so they're just coming off of the heels of celebrating how good God has been and, he, and how he's been providing for them all throughout their history as a people. And so even though their temple isn't built, they would still be holding on to these, these celebrations. And so in this celebration, they probably haven't been working for a, a month or so, right? They've been celebrating and remembering God's goodness. And you know what it's like when you've been off work for, for a little while, when you've gone on vacation and you've been away from work or you've been on maternity leave or paternity leave, and you're like, I got to go back to work? Come on, man. And you start like trying to rework the situation. Like it, it always happens. Like, I, I think maybe... I, maybe we can figure out how I can stay home and I don't have to go back to work. Like, maybe we can make this work. We, like, you start going through the budget and the finance. Like, I think we can. Like, there's only a $20,000 deficit that's going to be at the end. I still think we can stay home. And so this is where they're at right here. 
Do, do we really have to go back to work? Is Judah's doing the same thing. We got to go back? Really? How, how do we know that? Well, we look at the context here. They've gone back to work, and God's told them, I'm with you. And in their minds, this project is going to be amazing. Right? Because God's been with his people in the past, and they built the, um, their, their people built uh, Solomon's temple with this magnificent thing. And so as they know that God is with them, they start to put their hands to this work. And then all of a sudden, the work isn't easy. The work is difficult. They're clearing out the rubble from the old place. And they begin to remember back this beautiful temple that Solomon had made. Like, it's gorgeous. It's magnificent. And they start looking at the work of their hands like, this doesn't look like that. They start to compare the work that they're doing now with the work that Solomon had done years before. And they look at their work and like, eh, this is all right. It's not like what they did. This is, this is all right. But then the conclusion comes down to, are we wasting our time? Is it, is, are, are we wasting our time? Should we really be doing what we're called to do? And listen to how God instructs Haggai to ask questions to the people. Here's what he says in verse 3. Who's left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? What he's saying is, who's here who saw the old temple? How does it compare to you? Do you feel like it's nothing? Do you feel like you're wasting your time? And certainly there were people who were there in the midst who would have seen the old temple. If, if Haggai is 70 to 75 years old, like commentators say that he was, certainly he would have seen the old temple. Certainly there were others who were of the same age, if not older, who would have seen the old temple. <clears throat> and they would have known that this thing is magnificent. And this one that they're building, well, it's not the same. It doesn't, it doesn't add up in any way. And so they've now been working on this thing for a month. They've been cleaning out the rubble of the old one, and they're remembering the, the old one and what it used to look like. And what I think is going on here is they start going back and they start reliving the glory days. You guys know what that's like? You start going back and you start replaying the tapes, and, and I remember what it used to be like, and I remember my days back in when I was in Sunday school, I remember my days back when we had money, or I remember my days back when we enjoyed our marriage, I remember my days back when da-da-da-da-da, and we start reliving how good God was in the past and forgetting how good God is right now. And this is what's happening with Judah. They're remembering how good God was in the past, but they're forgetting about how good God is right now, and they're reliving the glory days. And they're standing there trying to compare their work with the memory of yesterday's glory, thinking that it's never going to be the same. And so let's be honest again. If we start to co compare things in our life, the only thing that comes out of that is usual frustration and discouragement. In the spiritual realm that I think the Lord's talking into here, our glory days aren't because we've built something magnificent in the past. It's not because we've built a magnificent building in the past. It's not because that we've seen God's glory in, in the past of something that, that's been done by our hands. The glory days happens because we experience God in the process. The glory days are because we know that God is there and we are walking with him as we're building or because we're walking with him as he's doing the thing or we're walking with him as we're parenting or walking with him as we're working. The glory days aren't tied up in a building. The glory days are because God is there and God was there. And I love what God does with this. I love what he does. This is uh, such a God thing to do. His love and his grace are dripping off of, of these pages. He, he doesn't beat them up here. He, he's not like, why are you so discouraged? Why are you stuck comparing yourself with the past? Because he's a loving father in this moment. He sees their discouragement. 
He sees what they're wanting. He can look at his children and see, there's something wrong here. This is not going well for you. He knows they're frustrated and discouraged. And so when we read this, he's not asking them to evaluate the quality of their work. He's not saying, hey, look at how your bricks are stacking on each other. What he's doing is he's giving them a vision correction. He's saying, stop looking back at the past like this temple was this great thing that you're never going to be able to do again. He was telling them to look back at him and to look back at his faithfulness, to look back at his power and to realize that just as he was in the moment then, that he's in the moment with them right now. It's not like, look how bad this job is that you're doing. He was saying, don't forget that you're not doing this alone. I've always been with you and I'm always going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you to do this work on your own. Remember, this is on the heels of the Feast of Booths where they are remembering the goodness and the faithfulness of God, how he has provided for them and how he never left them for 40 years of wandering through the desert. But it doesn't change the fact in this moment. I know he's there, but I'm still discouraged. Anybody been there? I know he's there, but I'm still discouraged. So when we find ourselves in this discouraging place and we feel like the spark's gone out and we don't know if we can go for it and we're asking, am I just wasting my time? What do we do? Look at verse 4. <clears throat> Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, so fear not. So what do we do? What do we do? What's he, what's he lead? I think what he's leading us to do is to stay the course, Right? Say that with me. Stay the course. Stay the course. I think that's what he's leading. Stay the course. When you're discouraged and you don't know what you're doing, but you know that what you're doing, that you've been led to do by the Lord, he says, stay the course and don't give up no matter how hard it gets. Well, isn't that hard? Yeah, it's hard, but we don't do it alone. Look at verse four again. Haggai says, be strong, be strong. Be strong. He says it three times, be strong. And then he's going to cap it off at the end of verse 6. He says, so don't fear. Be strong and don't fear. Be strong, Zerubbabel, leader. Be strong, Joshua, leader. Be strong, all of you people who are in the midst of this. All of you, be strong and don't give up. Don't give up. And you know what I think he means by be strong here and, and, and not to fear? I think he means cling to the Lord. Don't try to figure out how to do this by yourself. Cling to the Lord because the only way that you're going to be able to do what he's asking you to do is to cling. There's this, this desperate clinging. Anybody felt like you've had to desperately cling to the Lord in your life? And I can't do this in my own strength. I can't do this in my own power. But if I just cling to you, something can change. Remember the, the, the gal in, in the New Testament who's like, for a long time, she's bleeding and nothing can change. But she's like, if I could just cling to his garment, if I could just touch him, something might change. I think what he's saying here is when he's asking, be strong. And he's saying, don't fear. I, say, I think he's talking about clinging to him, the only one who can change the situation. That's how we are able to stay the course. And so be strong and do what? Be strong and do the work. Don't give up. Keep going to the woods. Keep grabbing the, tim the timber. Keep bringing it down. Keep going to the hills and bringing back the supplies, even if it doesn't feel significant. Even if what you're doing feels like a waste of time. Even if you don't understand why he's asking you to do it, 
Keep going to the hills and bringing down the wood. When you feel like you're not making any headway, keep going to the hills. When your boss is still a jerk, keep going to the hills. And your friends are still acting like you're an idiot, keep going to the hills. When the cravings are still there and you still are fighting the addiction and it's not going away and you're not yet where you want to be and you feel like you should have been gone further by now, he says, stay the course. Keep going. And here's the kicker. God says it again. You don't do it alone. He says, I'm with you. And I love that he says, my spirit is with you. My spirit remains with you. The question is, why would God tell him to be strong? Why, why would he say it three times over? Be strong. Be strong. Be strong. Don't fear. Do the work. Why would he, why would he do that? Nothing's changed. The enemy's still there. The thing that has you discouraged, it's still there. There's still a spiritual, but the enemy of your soul, the enemy of your joy, the enemy of your courage, it's still there. The reason why he would say it over and over and over again, because it hasn't gone anywhere yet. The enemy is still there. Samaria is still there. It's still nipping at them. The people of the town, they're still talking. The spiritual battle is still there. The fight against discouragement is still there, and the battle is real. It's not make-believe when I'm discouraged. It's not false. Like, I'm discouraged and I'm discouraged because I'm discouraged, and for whatever reason, that's where I'm at. Just to say be strong doesn't change that. He knows the battle is real. There's a spiritual and an emotional warfare going on that they are vulnerable to if nothing changes. And so if they, they are vulnerable to give in to this again. And to hear God say that I am with you, that does something. This isn't some punk off the street who's like, hey, I'll walk with you to the next roadblock. This, this is God saying, I am with you. This is the God that they just celebrated a provision. The God of deliverance. The God of power. This is the one who's saying, I am with you. You guys remember when um, Jesus, uh, he's talking with his disciples and, and he tells them the world, in this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. That's, that's a big verse that we, we tend to remember, right? The next chapter of John and, and chapter 17 is this long prayer. We, we know it as the high priestly prayer. And the whole prayer is about um, not if the disciples are going to run into trouble, the whole prayer is about when they run into trouble, that they won't give up, that they won't give in, and that they won't quit, that they will be willing to stay the course no matter what comes along their way. And what I think is significant in that moment is that he doesn't try to keep them out of trouble. He doesn't try to keep them out of things that are going to maybe land them in, this, in places of discouragement. He doesn't try to keep them out of pain. He says, when they go through it, don't let them give up. Let them stay the course. What I think is significant is that God lets Israel go through Egypt. What I think is significant is that he lets them walk through the desert. He lets them wander around for, for 40 years. And he doesn't reroute them away from pain. He allows them to go through it. He doesn't keep them away from the Samaritans and the pressure that they're feeling there in, in Jerusalem. What he does is he takes them through the middle of it. And the promise that he gave them and the promise that he gives us now is that he's going to be with us, that he's going to go through the middle of it. And so if you're in a place of discouragement, the hard thing that you're going through isn't because God's out of the picture. It's not because Jesus isn't walking with you. 
It's because that he's chosen to allow you to go through so that you can experience his presence as he walks through it with you. It's not that he's not there. He's there with you in the middle. He chooses to go with you through the hard stuff, not to keep you away from the hard stuff. And so when you face discouragement in the hard stuff, the reminder for us is to remember, I'm not going through this alone. He is with me in the middle of this. Would you guys agree with with me that we're probably in some of those hard days right now? Like we're probably in uh, some of the, maybe you've walked through some hard things recently, but I think the thing, some of the things that we walk through right now, I, I think we can get to the point where we ask the question, man, is this really worth it? And, we, and that question can come up daily. Is this really worth it? The hard decisions that I'm making that doesn't seem like anybody else is making, is it worth it? Why am I taking up my cross when it feels like everybody is laying down their cross? Why am I enduring hardship? to support God's mission? Why am I enduring hardship to stand firm in my faith? Why am I enduring all this? And, and, and when I think it would just be easier if I just stopped, why do I keep going? I think we'd agree that we're all kind of in those hard spaces. I don't know why you keep going, but I know why I keep going. I, I keep going because God says, do the work. I mean, there's no other way to do it. God says, do the work. And so of obedience, we do the work. But it's more than just obedience. We know that he's there. We know that he's with us. He's proven his faithfulness over and over and over again. And he said, I'm going to be with you. And, and I do the work because I know that when I walk in my house, I feel the strong call of God. When I look in the eyes of my wife and I look in the eyes of my kids, that he has called me to lay another brick. He has called me to put down another two-by-four against another two-by-four and not give up building the, his temple in my house. And when I walk in these doors and I see your faces and I, and I see the lives that are being changed and I see the work that God is doing, I keep doing the work because I have the strong sense that I'm in this with you. And they were walking through this and that as we walk through this together, that we're going to continue to see stories being changed, lives being changed, and we are going to hear and get to see these trophies of God's grace over and over again. And I keep going because I believe that our best days aren't in the past. I believe that it's not the glory days of old, that there's glory days in the future, that there's good stuff to come. And, why, and, and how can we say that? Well, look at verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. You know what that means? They're hanging their heads down in discouragement. He says, no, 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 no. Lift up your head. It's not the glory days of the past. I'm with you in it right now, and this place is going to be filled with God's glory. But he's got a different, he's got a different plan. It's not just the glory of then, but it's going to be the glory for all time. Verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Your glory days aren't in the past, he says. Your glory days are now because I'm with you, and your glory days are going to be in the future because Jesus is going to be with you. They don't yet know who Jesus is, but this is the plan. There's, there's often a, a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment when we're looking in Scripture and we're looking at the prophets. The near fulfillment is that um, King Darius is he's going to provide the materials to be able to build a, a significant temple in that place. And so the work that they're doing isn't going to be undone. It's going to be significant. But there's also a far fulfillment. There's going to be a day when Jesus himself comes. He's going to set himself up as king of the temple. 
He's going to set himself up. And in Matthew and John, they say that Jesus is greater than that. Not only is he the temple, but he is greater than the temple. And there is no comparison to this glorious king. And so when we read Haggai, we don't just read it in its place. We read it for what it is and what Jesus, what God is pointing us to, not only in the glory days of now, but the glory days to come. It's going to be in Jesus. And so if you're discouraged today, you have to know that Jesus came for you. If you're discouraged today, you have to know that he rose for you, that if you're in Christ, he lives in you. And if he's in you, greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world. And so the thing that you're facing can't overcome you. The thing that is discouraging you is not bigger than you because he who is in you is bigger than the thing that you're going through. And he's walking you through it. He is with you. And so this week, my call to us is to stay the course. Go pick up another brick. Go grab another piece of timber. Even if you feel like the work that you're doing is insignificant, even if your kids are still talking back, put another brick on there. Even if you feel like people are shutting you up at work and you can't share your faith, put another piece of timber on the temple. He said that you are his temple. In you, his spirit lives if you're in Christ. Keep building, keep going, don't give up, stay the course. If you don't know Jesus, and that's your first step, put that brick down, put that log into place, and then we start adding bricks on top of that. We are building the house of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, what a gift you are to us. Your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your presence. It's just overwhelming. And yet, if you're here, you're in our midst and in our personal lives, you're with us if we know you, God. So where we feel discouraged as people, I pray that you would encourage us today. Help us to stay the course this week. Father, we can't do this alone. I just love that you say that your spirit is in our midst. Your spirit is, is around us. And if we know you, your spirit lives in us. And so the work that you've called us to do, we don't do on our own. We do with you. And we look forward to the glory of today. And we look forward to the glory of tomorrow because we walk with you each day. Give us the strength to stay the course, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.